From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we review the 2022 Championship Series and preview the World Series. Welcome to another round of the postseason and to another episode of Sign Our Baseball. I am Brandon Beiser, and with me was somewhere from parts unknown. Kazuka. By that I mean Kazuki has a backwatch I've never seen before. So I'm not gonna ask where he is, just somewhere. We are back. We're with another postseason review and preview, just like we've been doing. This time we're at the championship series review and the world series preview. So we're going to get right into it. Two series to review. National League, America will go National League first. I'll say we have more than four points. So the cycle's a little bit extended this time. So we'll start with Philadelphia Phillies versus San Diego Padres. Tasty Cakes, Cheese Steaks, and Wawa, four. Fish Tacos. Ballast Point Brewery, Coronado Island, one. I can't believe it. Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series. But when you look at kind of where all the things kind of set themselves up, first game really sent it off. The 488 foot, probably still going, maybe possibly home run from Kyle Schwarber in game one was set this game into motion. Zach Wheeler, who pitched game one and five, and game one went seven innings, one hit, one walk, struck out eight Petco. And then we had Dominguez Alvarado come in, pitch two innings, wrap this whole thing up nice and easy, and it's game one's over. But we can't ignore the fact that you Darvish pitched a gem as well. His only runs given up were Harper home run and, of course, that Schwarber home run. Seven innings, seven, in, seven strikeouts. That was kind of not what we expected of the Phillies in general. The Phillies have not really played close games this whole series. Low-scoring close games. High-scoring close games, not low-scoring close games. Then we go to game two. And San Diego Padres showed exactly what we thought they were from exactly what we saw in the Dodgers series, exactly what we saw in the Mets series, and that was... We're going to hit a bunch of hits and we're going to, you know, get out in front. And what that means is very simple. Phillies are up by, was it, they were by three, five in the fifth inning? Uh, four. Four. I guess I was, I was on both sides of that. Rob Thompson makes a move, which you're going to talk about in a second here. And the San Diego Padres clawed all the way back and took a pretty substantial lead and won this game eight to five. Brand Drury, Josh Bell, Manny Machado leading the way. Talk about that move that Rob Thompson made of bringing in Brad. Yeah, so it was in the sixth inning. Um, it was basically loaded. You could clearly see Aaron Nola was struggling. He was dominant for the first few innings. And uh, in that 
top uh the bottom of the sixth inning or fifth inning he was struggling and he gave up some runs and it was still be slowed in no outs and or a couple outs and then um he brought in Brad Hand to uh, go after like Josh Bell and some of the lefties and you know uh, unfortunately Brad Hand his playoff track record's been pretty bad and unfortunately like he blew the game he blew, he blew the open. lead pretty plain and simple blew that lead right in the middle and like like we said Padres get their one win finish that game out in Petco eight to five and then we go back to the and the bank has been very favorable for the Phillies in the last series. And that played out just as well this series. Game three was a complete effort by the Philadelphia Phillies. Ranger Suarez, five innings pitch, one earned run, three Ks. Gene Segura and Reese Hopkins gave a couple errors, limited his outing. On the flip, Gene Segura and Alex Bohm got two timely hits. And then we go back to Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think it should be Sir Sir Anthony Dominguez at this point. I mean, the man has pitched a gem throughout multiple games. He had a couple iffy moments, but two innings, pitched three strikeouts, gave up only one hit. And the Phillies retake the lead in the series, take up game three. Game four was like the flip of game two because this game was out of control. The first inning... Both pitchers left after the first in the, within the first inning on both sides, right? Like they were gone real quick. So that that was that was new. Well, what do you think about how's Falter and Mike Clevenger? So what happened early on in that game? Break it break it down a little bit with us. Yeah, so let's start off with the top of the first was uh, Falter. So he gets two quick outs, right? Get Profar and Soto, but once he got to Machado. Everything kind of fell apart. Machado nuked one into the outfield and hit a home run. And then after that, he started giving up a lot of hits and walks and it turned into a 4-0 lead, essentially. Uh, it's Yeah, it blew the game wide open. But the next inning, Mike Clevenger, who's been historically bad uh, in the playoffs, um, he started giving it up uh, first a walk to Kyle Schwarber and then Reese Hoskins bomb, a two-run shot. And then... Real Muto getting on and Harper getting a double. So it's 4-3 lead and he just leaves right after Harper. Basically, like he recorded zero outs on like Walter. So both of them had to play the bullpen game. Right, an unexpected bullpen game. So we had an unexpected bullpen game. And then the the Phillies keep just pushing the lead out. They just, they, they came back and they just pushed it out, pushed it out, pushed it out, pushed it out. Reese Hoskins gets more hits. Bryce Harper with more hits. We get another bad bullpen move, bringing in Sean Manaya. That's a surprise for me, not going to lie. And then everyone not named Brad Hand contributed to the rest of this game for the Phillies. Brogdon, Bilotti, Syndergaard, the Houdini himself, David Robertson, and of course, Zach Eflin. I mean, I didn't know the Phillies could do this, honestly. And then they did it. Yeah, and it was because of a couple key like hot bats. Uh, Reese Hoskins, who's been cold this entire postseason, um, hit two two-run home runs that put them back in the game. And obviously, you can't say that was out. Bryce Harper always uh, was a clutch double, clutch RBI opportunity, and uh, taking the lead for the Phillies. And then they started piling on was um, JT Realmuto's solo shot, Kyle Schwarber always hitting a bomb. And yeah, they just exploded. It was an explosion. And then we get to Sunday. Now, Sunday 
was the day we're going to we'll go into the next series. Obviously, you know what happened. Spoiler, people. Houston swept, yanked, brought the little brooms. It's spooky Halloween. It's spooky Christmas season. So it's brought those. It's a hocus pocus brooms. Two o'clock, this game starts. So right in the middle of football games on Sunday. And it's a nail biter. Get this game going. Reese gets a two-run home run off Darvish. And we have the Wheeler-Darvish duel. Go back and forth. While Samantha Dominguez loses the lead. The, his, his run of good luck, I think, kind of stopped right there pretty, pretty, can, pretty openly. So Padres are leading in, after the seventh, after their half of the seventh. Bryce Harper comes up. And for those of you who are Phillies fans, you may, may remember a home run early in the year against the Angels by Bryson at the end of the The call was, the video went, flew faster than uh, a fighter jet, it felt like, on Twitter. Tom McCarthy, who's the TV broadcaster, called the home run as he was looking at the TV panned in the home run in June to a young child out in center field with his hands clasped, like asking for a prayer from the heavens. And Bryson Stott absolutely unloaded and uncorked this bomb. And it was this amazing home run. Your prayers have been answered. I'd like to think those prayers have been answered yet again because the tasty cakes went a flying. The cheese steaks were were robust and spicy in that seventh inning because Bryce Harper eighth, unloaded eighth. Uh, eighth inning. So not essentially, but Bryce Harper in the eighth inning. I'm getting close to my seventh innings things now. Bryce Harper in the eighth inning. I think I was watching the seventh inning. I was like, they're done. Bryce Harper, eighth inning. So you got, you got, the, you got, your, you got your tasty cakes are flowing. Cheese steaks are spicy. Eighth inning comes up. Bryce Harper absolutely uncorks one into the mid-evening sky of, in Philadelphia. Four to three. And then this is how it ends. But if you, if you track back to that moment, it's the same story of the Mariners-Astros game. Who do you bring in to face the bat? They brought the Padres. Did not bring in Josh Hayden. So, Suki, walk us through the pitching decisions from basically Sir Anthony Dominguez getting the wild pitch. We, we go through that half of the seventh. We go through the bottom half of the seventh. We're in the eighth. They survive the eighth. And we go to the bottom of the eighth. And obviously, we know what happens at the bottom of the eighth. But walk us through the pitching decisions that brought us to, you know, spicy cheesesteak moment. Yeah, so, um, you know, Suarez, who's been uh, pretty good in the Padres bullpen for a long time, um, I think he was asked to take, uh, he was already pitched in seventh and he's got pit, asked to pitch in eighth as well to uh, lead into Josh Hader. And I think Bob Melvin's thought was to have Josh Hader for the final four outs instead of six. But 
problem was that JT Real Muto got on was a single, it was no outs. And I think they would have probably walked. That sounds a little bit familiar. It's like Jeremy Pena gets on with a single. Yep. So like, I think the issue was, um, like, I think their idea was to walk Harper and then face a righty, but because JT Real Muto was on, they had to face uh, Bryce Harper. But the issue is, at that moment, you know, your game on the line, I would have brought in Josh Hader. You know, you traded so much uh, prospect capital just to get that man to for moments like this. But the fact that he wasn't available just because you wanted him to close the game for the final four outs, it's kind of a baffling decision. You know, he's a lefty, hot bat. You wanted someone to neutralize that. Your best hand was Josh Hader, and he's been, like, dominant this whole postseason. And then you get, and you get, and then you get my, I call my spicy cheesesteak moment. It's a bad, bad, bad metaphor, by the way, for my friends in Philadelphia. I apologize. It's not a spicy cheesesteak moment. It's a very fulfilling moment. That's a hearty cheesesteak moment. Absolutely just uncorked one. I mean, that sound of the crowd, that sound, I mean, uh, I was the radio broadcast. Shout out to the Phillies radio broadcast. Uh, they were great. Tom McCarthy and it was the TV came over, came over and it was joined the radio crew, uh, but the regular radio crew was the one that called the game. I apologize, I the names off offhand, uh, but that was fantastic. That the excitement was fantastic. Uh, and then close out the game. Trent Grisham pressed a bunt, which was why I don't really get that one. You put a note here about that seems like a strange decision. Game's over. Four three. Phillies are singing, dancing on my own. Palm Scott version, which is a bad version. Got to pick the Robin version, gentlemen. Uh, and that, and they're on the World Series. I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. I caught, I caught it. Um, I mean, I you think- called it. So unrecorded. I know Kazuki very graciously found my clip from our first episode this season. Talk about what he talked about, but in passing conversations of the last week, Kazuki told me, and I probably I can pull up the text message probably. If the Phillies beat was it was if the Phillies beat the Mets, they're gonna make it to the World Series. Braves. If the Phillies, beat no, the Phillies, Braves. Beat, if Phillies beat the Braves, they're gonna make it to the World Series. Because you thought the Mets were gonna beat the the Padres and the and the Mets were gonna and then the Mets were gonna come on down all this road here. Mets, the Dodgers, Dodgers get through. But every weird series unfolded differently. The the two wild card teams make it all the way through. So Padres make it through, beat the Dodgers, Mets beat the Braves, and you said the Mets beat the Braves, I'm sorry, if the the Phillies beat the Cardinals, if the Phillies beat the Braves, they will make it to the World Series. And they, no notes, except I can't talk through all the series because there are so many now. So we have concluded the National League. And right in between this, so a quick divergence of topic. So there is a rain delay yet again in New York. So I am spending my time trying to figure out what's going to happen between this game ending and the other game. So I turn on the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League playoffs. The game that was in between these was Portland hosting San Diego. Of all the teams, tied 1-1 in the 90th minute in stoppage time, Portland gets a corner kick. And you're thinking, we can't have lightning struck twice on the same day of this crazy, almost at the depth hits or scores to win a game. And what do you know? The ball comes off a defender and Crystal Dunn from the Portland Thorns 
unloads a worldly golazo rocket right into the right into the upper nine. And it was like sports world heaven. I mean, we had sports equinox recently, but from the hours of like 5.30 to about 8, you had back-to-back just on lightning rod moments across sports. I'm sure there were more, but those two just stuck with me. And then you get into the night, which started about nine, close to about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. American League, Houston is at New York to sweep, to potentially sweep the series. So we'll go through this series because it was, it just looked ugly for the Yankees. The Yankees looked, the Yankees did not look good. They looked generally bad. Houston has swept two series in a row. Their pitching was exquisite. I'm going to particularly call out game three when Christian Javier, who has pitched, I believe at the time, less than five innings of postseason baseball in his entire career, goes shutting out for five plus innings against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. That's nice. Aaron Judge, to speak to the Yankees' poor performance, was one for 16, no home runs, no RBIs. Harrison Bader carried the offense, the acquisition from the Cardinals, batting hometown kid. Yeah. We, we talk about kids from, you know, Westchester, New York. We talked about George Kirby. Harrison Bader is also in Westchester, New York, Westchester County, New York. 333 average, over a one point, over a, over a 1,000, uh, an OPS over 1,200. Uh, and he had five home runs this postseason. That's good. It's good stuff. And Rizzo, who may opt out of his contract, added a cool 250. Wasn't good enough. Of course, you got to throw in a Mariners stat here. Mariners played the same amount of innings. Granted, that was the, they played the double game, which essentially was the extended, the extra innings game, which is two games in one. But both series were 36 innings. The Mariners scored... The Yankees and the Mariners scored the same amount of runs. The Yankees scored more runs. The Yankees just scored more runs. Now, because you, in our document here, you list a bunch of Aaron Boone blunders. The floor is yours. Uh, as you may know from the podcast, I am not a fan of Aaron Boone as a manager. Like, and I've been calling for his head for a while, um, and still am today. And I'm still baffled by the Yankees still keeping him as a manager. I get why good clubhouse presence, but horrible, horrible in-game management. Uh, let's start off with a couple of scenarios. It happened in two games, actually both games, game two and game three. Uh, you're, you know, his, the Yankees, um, bullpen to be fair, they're, they've been depleted with injuries. Like um, they're all in the infirmary. Like we're talking about Michael King, Chad Green, Efros. They're all shut down and they couldn't pitch in any of these playoff games. But your hottest hand, Jonathan Lewisica, was not used in the best, you know, the highest leverage moment at all in any situation. And he ended up going to Lou Trevino for all of these. Even though the game was tied and your season was on, on the line, he never used Lewisica when he was shutting down and buzzsawing through the Astros lineup. That's one. So that leads into the horrible use of analytics, um, not just in the bullpen, but also for starting hitting. Um, 
fact that he had a shortstop starting in every uh, a different shortstop in every game is kind of baffling. You have no consistency. Um, like you traded for IKF and you don't use IKF for every game. You can play shortstop for majority of the game. Like that makes no sense. Like if he wasn't that good, why did you not play um, Oswald Peraza, your top prospect, uh, throughout the whole month of September for him to get acclimated to the major league pitching down the stretch? So, and then the fact that he's starting, that's also baffling. And then Cabrera, Oswaldo Cabrera, like, um, why is he starting shortstop? He's been playing the outfield for a while. I get he's a second baseman, but why is he doing shortstop? Why is there a change of lineup? And for me, why is there such an inconsistency in the lineup? Why is there a different lineup every single day outside of Aaron Judge hitting second? Like, what is going on? Like, and the fact that we keep on changing it based on matchup, I feel like, the loss of consistency is kind of hard for these guys. And, you know, no one knows where they're hitting. I think that's an issue. And Judge is struggling. Why are you keeping him in a two-hole if he's, like, struggling so much? Like, that just doesn't make sense. There's, like, a couple baffling decisions, like Glaber and leadoff to, like, Josh Donaldson, who's been horrible, was the bat this uh, season, hitting fourth. Or, like, not having Giancarlo to protect Judge. Um, or Rizzo higher in the lineup. I think... There's just been a lot of baffling lineup decisions like that's been kind of going on that I think just didn't didn't make sense. And then um and it sucks that Trevino and Cabrera both struggle. Trevino, you're an all-star, um, hit 0 for 12, and Cabrera hit 071. I think, you know, that's been kind of hard to, you know, go along with. And based off all all of this, like I'll go get into the other topic that's leading into all these acquisitions doing poorly oh, oh yeah they were just they were, let's, they were go, just go, let's go into the 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 general the front office josh johnson was subpar i think it's an overstate that may be that may be understatement of the year how subpar he was um andrew benintendi is not playing he's injured so you're missing out at least one player there so you lost you have no donaldson you have no, donaldson yeah. you have not not great donaldson you have no ben there's no no dj i think no that's DJ. the hard part uh, you went out and you got Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. Wasn't your first choice. Let's be real here. Come on. Jerry DePoto did you better. Jerry DePoto got you. So. Yeah, it hurts for them that he got extended in Seattle, right? <laughs> that's what the goal was. Frankie Montas is not getting extended in New York. I could see that definitely not happening. I mean, his numbers. Um, I I I think uh, Smith, uh, our buddy here, would argue that uh, Montas is similar to um, CEO in a way. Yep, I could see that in terms of preferable. But this season, like Montas, outside of the Coliseum, he's been awful, awful in every other ballpark outside of the Coliseum. And then talk about the final set of trades that that go back a little bit further that were not ideal. Yeah, like Donaldson, uh, that whole trade was a Twins. That was your big you know, offseason move, right? Trading for Donaldson, IKF, to get your shortstop and third baseman and get rid of Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. Um, Donaldson struggled for this whole entire postseason. One for 13 in the ALCS was just one double. And that's your $25 million man that you could have probably gone to like um, Carlos Correa for. That's been kind of god-awful. And then... Uh, man, I got to talk about IKF. While his bat wasn't that bad, but um, his defense, he was one of the worst defensive shortstop 
this season and he botched so many key plays that led to the Astros rallying in. The main one that I would talk about is game four. That miscatch was the Glaber double play turn. That was god awful. And that turned the tide around and Yankees had a lead and basically because of that, it, it kind of snowballed into them losing the lead and lose the game. Yeah. I mean, it, that's pretty much it. And we'll end on a high note. Carlos Correa was an all-star for several seasons with the one World Series with them. Great player. Goes to the Twins and has already opted out of his contract with the Twins. The Astros say, you know what? Let's click. I don't care. <laughs> We're going to sign. We're going to bring up Jeremy Pena. And Jeremy Pena is your ALCS MVP. And he has been just absolutely on a hair. He could be an all-star for years to come. Gold, I'm not sure about, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen really too much of the defense. I'm, I'm not going to say about gold glove. But for him to be a clutch player in at least two significant games throughout this postseason so far, They've only played seven. That's pretty, pretty remarkable. So I'll give it up to Jeremy Pena, well-deserved ALCS MVP. And potential perennial all-star. You know, got to respect the front office. They lost Carlos Correa and have Jeremy they, they, Pena they, to replace him. They found him. this 20-year-old kid. And he's like, I'm good. I think there was a while ago when the, the Astros were on think Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus, Heidi Watney was interviewing his parents as he hit a home run. I was like, this is perfect. This works very well. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm intrigued by him. I know we, we, we were not huge fans of the Astros historically, but some of their I players mean, are... I'm in all of their like player development. It's, it's just the amount of talent they could create it's amazing, I think. Um, yeah, the amount, of, the, amount, the amount of like like homegrown talent or in the system talent that they have on that roster right now, it's fairly remarkable. Uh, we'll talk about that. And we'll, well, that's a tease in the biz, as they call it, because coming after the break, we reached that point. It's time to preview the 2022 World Series. Welcome back to Sayonara Baseball. We've done the review. We are now ready to preview 2022 World Series starting on Friday, October 28th. Houston Astros, Philadelphia Phillies. Both teams starting rotations have been, for the most part, quite good. Mostly all by acquisition. For the Phillies, for the Astros... It's, it's next man up. You got Verlander and McCullers and then every other person you've probably never heard of. And then just, here they go. Valdez, Javier, keeps on going. Houston probably has two. Houston, I would say, has the upper hand the bullpen. A little more consistency. Uh, Ryan Stanek, Ryan, Ryan Presley, Rafael Montero. Hector Neris, the Hector former Neris. Philly. I, was, I, I couldn't think of that. That was the last name I could think of. I saw him come in. I was like, he's throwing. Um, so there you got, you got that. Outfield, 
in terms of both defensively and and offensively, I mean, that outfield is loaded. Even if you take like Chaz McCormick is not like the household name he is, but you got Kyle Tucker and he wears batting gloves. I know I thought he didn't wear bad gloves. Kyle Tucker wears batting gloves now. And he was hitting well. I mean, Chaz McCormick was stepping up and you just have everyone on that team. And then pretty much everyone except first base you have the, has the advantage for the Astros too. Obviously, Jeremy Pena we've waxed poetic about. Jose Altuve needs to kind of get off the get off the bus, get off the pine a little bit and start playing a little bit. Alex Bregman's quite good. But compare them to like, you know, Alex Bohm, Bryson Stott, Gene Segura type players. Other than Reese Hoskins over Yuri Gurriel, you really don't have a whole lot. And then your DH is the battle of Alvarez versus Harper. I mean, like, whew. I mean, that's, that's you had to do it. So... The Philadelphia Phillies, they're what they have to keep doing with what, 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 what advantage they have. Just like their mascot of the neighbors, Philadelphia Flyers, you got to stay gritty. They've been the underdog every single time and have won every single time. Barring a few crazy suggestions. Harper, Real Muto, Kyle Schwarberfest at Wawa, Reese Hoskins, even Nick Castellanos and Bryson Stott need to keep keep getting on base. They don't need to hit home runs. Just keep getting on base because as we saw, they can keep moving around, people around quite quickly. They have speed, which is a nice little advantage there. And Robbie Thompson has done a great job putting things together. A few blunders in terms of that bullpen, obviously we've seen that across many teams, but Robbie Thompson, if he keep making the right decisions, they have a shot. The Philadelphia scoring runs in bunches. Seen that. They have lived and died by the long bubble too much, which is the only thing I'm all afraid of. And then, yes, Minute Maid Park is a dome. But we know Philadelphia sports fans across all their... I mean, they're having a, a bonanza right now in that town. The Phillies are still playing. You got the Eagles. The Philadelphia Union are in the MLS Conference Finals. You have the Flyers. The Sixers are playing. I think I'm missing. I may be missing a team. Like the end of Broad Street and then South Philly and, and then South Philly and Chester is absolutely bananas right now with sports. They're going to be loud. Be very loud. And I think nothing can beat that home field advantage for them. They've played it so well so far. But what do you think are the keys to the actual success for both teams as we kind of round out and close out the topic here? Yeah, let me start off with the AL champ, the Houston Astros. I mean, they made the World Series three times in the last six years, six straight LCS appearance. They're the Goliath. They're the juggernaut. They're the real death star that Brian Cashman claims that his Yankees is. They're the real threat of the baseball world. They're just really that stacked. So... Key success for me, I think, outside of Jordan, it's Alex Bregman. He's been the consistent cog of his whole offense. He's been hitting 333 in every series, and he's been getting on base, knocking in runs when they have to. And we need the uh, Jeremy Pena momentum keep going. Like he's been hitting the ball really well, seeing the ball really well, great defense. And um, surrounding was great starting pitching was Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez. 
Lance McCullers Jr. and Christian Javier. You know, the rotation needs to keep it up, keep going. And, but the downside is if like Pena and Bregman are not hitting, we need Altuve, Jordan, Tucker, and the first base platoon of Gurriel, Mancini, and the catching platoon of Maldonado and Val, uh, Vasquez. They need to start uh, hitting the bats. Like they need to start contributing because a lot of these like um, games have been low scoring outside of game one of the ALDS. They got to keep, keep, keep on um, contributing there. And the bullpen, obviously, it's very well rested right now, but they have one of the best bullpen in baseball. This postseason, they have an ERA of 0.36 right now with uh, Presley, Montero, Neris, Luis Garcia, and Stanek. Been a brilliant, brilliant bullpen. And then now moving on to the Phillies, the David of this whole scenario, the underdog. Uh, they need their ace, co-aces, 1A, 1B, uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, they need to pitch very, very deep into the game so they don't get their bullpen exposed. And when they went deep into the game, they won all their games. So they got to pitch at least six innings to get a winning shot against this team. And in the big bats, like you mentioned, Harper, Schwarber, Hoskins, Castellanos, Real Muto, they need to contribute. They need to keep hitting bombs or getting on base or hitting some doubles and knocking in runs because that's the only way to get to this Houston um, pitching is they need to score runs or else it's going to be tough for them to keep up. And the bullpen needs to stay hot and stay tight. So that means that uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez to Brogdon to uh, D-Rob to Noah Syndergaard and Jose Alvarado, they need to uh, keep on getting it tight and getting out of situations and making sure they don't give up any mistakes because this Astro lineup will get you if you make a mistake. And then lastly, you need Stott, Segura, and Nabom, the underdog of the whole lineup to keep getting on base for these big bats to come in. And I think when they play small ball, like the team against the Braves, they did really well. So not just relying on home run, but getting on base, getting the contact in will be key for this Phillies um, offense. Yeah, I think I think this is a contact game. And as, as we've gone throughout this postseason, we're not going to make any predictions. But I think of all the things that Kazuki said, the one thing that really hits me is no team really this whole season has beat the Astros by hitting a bunch of home runs. It just doesn't work. You have to get multi, many players on base that you can hit a home run, but you're probably getting more likely to get them on and contact your way through it. In terms of the Astros, the way that you beat the Phillies is you take the air out of that game, out of their, out of their, out of their sale, like the win out of their sales as quickly as possible. Get up and don't let go because if the Astros have a lead, it's really hard for them to surrender it because you can go five innings and essentially just give it to your bullpen and you're locked. The question is, is how how often can you do that? Because they've gotten two sweeps. They have a, both teams have a five day break before you play this game on Friday night. So you're fully rested. You're going to be down in Houston to start. And then we, here we go. And that's it. This, this series will, will start in spooky, spooky Christmas season. On Friday, October 28th, it will go past Halloween. We'll have November baseball. And then onward we proceed. November baseball is when this series will end. As we have said throughout this postseason, and, and uh, in support of Sarah Lang's, baseball is the best. However, if you're watching, you know, there's some days off from baseball. You got your NWSL championship on Saturday night on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, America's Network of Stars. You got... NFL starting, got NFL games. You have 
MLS playoffs. You have NBA season is now back. You have the NHL. You have soccer is winding down for the, before the World Cup. We have reached peak sports, friends. And to close out October, to get in November, baseball may be the best, but you got a lot of choices. So enjoy the sports. That'll do it for us. We'll be back one more time to close out the 2022 season before we head into our winter break. Enjoy, and we'll see you on the field again real soon. That's it for this episode of Center Our Baseball. This episode of Center Our Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Our Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.